Hey, what's up everyone? Welcome, current listeners, new listeners. This is episode 17 of WFS, The Will Ford Show. I am finally back on a somewhat normal schedule. It is Saturday. Was on a Monday earlier this week, and then two Sundays prior. So I'm trying to get back into the swing of things. With track track meets every weekend, it's going to be a little bit difficult. But I'm going to shoot for the Friday, Saturday, Sunday range. So that's that's where I'm aiming for. Uh, yesterday was a pretty d- tough day for me. Four by eight hundred meter relay, four by two hundred meter relay. 400 meter dash and then the 4x4. So that's that's like a, almost a mile and a half of sprinting. So pretty tough day, but got through it and now we're here today. So let's jump right into the show. A little bit of old news, but I was I did my preview for the Villanova Michigan title game on Monday as the game was going on. So I didn't get to watch any of the game. That was my preview. Villanova beat Michigan 79-62. to And I said that if Nova reached 80 points or, or close to 80 points, I would think they'd win this game. And they got 79, So, and they won by 17. So 80 points, that was the threshold. If they got to 80 points or close... They were winning this game. I really wasn't too far off in the score. I think I said 82-72. So I was obviously seven points off in the point differential, but still had Nova winning. So, uh, But Michigan went on a little run early in the game, but Villanova kind of just snuffed that out. Uh, Dante DiVincenzo. I think that's how you say the name. Divincenzo. Yeah, I think Divincenzo sounds right. Uh, 32 points off the bench for Villanova. He was a sharp shooter during that game. And he looks pretty athletic. He can pass a little bit. And I, I was seeing some stuff on Twitter that his his draft stock like should be a lot higher now. And he should be a like a late first rounder or early second or something. And I've seen some lottery stuff and I'm like, no, this is, I'm not saying this is necessarily a fluke game, but he was on fire. Very rarely are you going to have a guy come off the bench and be like that good. And he doesn't even start for Villanova. He's not even one of those starters. He's coming off the bench. So I, I don't see, obviously, his dra- if he has a draft stock, it's up a little bit. It's not up a lot. Uh, but a great game from him. And Villanova, two championships in the past three years. That's pretty good. 2016 champs over North Carolina. And now the 2018 champs over Michigan. And a lot of the a lot of questions being asked whether or not Jay Wright is the best coach in college basketball right now. And a lot would argue Mike Shashevsky, Coach K, or 
John Calipari. I think they're the best recruiters in college basketball. They're, they're really good coaches. Don't get me wrong. They're really good coaches. They've won national titles. But I think they are better recruiters than they are coaches. Like Roy Williams from North Carolina and Jay Wright, I think, are better coaches, better coaches than Coach K or Calipari. Because they produce players who who play for a minimum of three years, mostly four years in college. They produce NBA-ready, mature men. Duke and Kentucky are one-and-done schools. They, Like I said, they're recruiters. They recruit kids to play there for one year. They just cycle kids in and out every year. And then they have the odd kid or two, like Grayson Allen, who stays four years. Villanova and UNC recruit and develop players. Duke and Kentucky don't develop players. They recruit them, go on a little bit of a run in the tourney, send them off, and they're picked top 10 in the draft every year. Perfect example, especially this year with the Lakers. Kyle Kuzma had an NBA-ready body coming in out of Utah. And Josh Hart, the same thing. And he came out of, surprise, Villanova. Four-year players right there. They played four years in college. And they were ready as soon as they came into the NBA. Alonzo Ball, one year. Took him about 30 games to figure it out. Markel Foltz. Hadn't touched, he hasn't touched the court until just recently. So I would have to say Jay Wright is probably the best coach in college basketball right now. Him or Roy Williams, whoever you want to you want to put. Two titles in three years. That's something that Coach K has never done. And Calipari only has one title. So, Jay Wright, Roy Williams, I think those are your top coaches in college basketball. All right, we're going to move on to the NBA. Kyrie Irving is out for the playoffs after his knee surgery. This is pretty unfortunate for the Celtics, given the season that they've had. And I would have loved to have seen a LeBron and Kyrie matchup. That would have been tremendous. And had they had that match had that matchup happen this year, Kyrie versus LeBron, I am more than willing to say that LeBron's legacy would be on the line in that series. If he loses to Kyrie, his legacy takes a drastic hit, and there is no shot at being the best player of all time. None. None at all. But that was kind of off topic. Back to the Celtics. Obviously, their their title hopes are non-existent now. But honestly, that's that's fine. It's okay. Because next year is a much better opportunity. Kyrie's going to be back. 
assuming his knee turns out to be okay. Gordon Hayward's going to be back. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are going to be more developed. And plus, LeBron could leave Cleveland after this season if they don't win a title. And that would really make it a two-team conference in the East with Toronto and Boston. And then you'd have the Bucks and the Wizards like right behind. So, of course, this sucks right now for, for Boston. The Cavs are probably going to make the finals now. I, I don't foresee Toronto making any kind of impact. I think Philly could make an impact, but Toronto... It seems like they're different this year, but you just can't trust them at the same time. So, I don't know. Obviously, it sucks right now for Boston, but next year, I think, is just a way better opportunity. You can retool. You're going to get guys back. And if LeBron's gone, you have like the next eight years of dominance in the East unless another super team is built. Or something. And this is also relevant. We're going to shift to another topic. Uh, I think it's pretty evident that Kawhi wants out of San Antonio. Just based on this entire situation we, we found ourselves to be in. And if that's the case, the Spurs need to trade him before he walks out the door in 2019. That's what they have to do if he wants out. Because otherwise they're getting nothing for him. Here are some potential trade packages for Kawhi Leonard. This is between Boston and San Antonio. Boston gets Kawhi Leonard. And the Spurs get Marcus Morris. Terry Rozier, Jason Tatum, and a 2019 top eight protected first round pick. Now, I think the Celtics would be dumb to mortgage off their farm system of young talent for Kawhi. Just one year out of free agency, it's not worth to mortgage off all of those players. Right now, they're contending for the number one seed in the East without Gordon Hayward. And they've been missing Kyrie for a little while, and they're going to be without him for the playoffs. But they're still contending. They have no business joining this bidding war. And if they were to do this, the Celtics, the Celtics aren't getting Kawhi Leonard without giving up Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum. Superstar trades very seldom yield equal or comparable value in return either. So it would make more sense for the Celtics to go after him in free agency. For the Spurs, getting Jason Tatum, that's a pretty good building block moving forward. Plus you get a pick out of it. Next, between Milwaukee and the Spurs, the Bucks get Kawhi Leonard and Patty Mills, and the Spurs get 
Malcolm Brogdon, Fawn Maker, Chris Middleton, Tony Snell, and a first-round pick in 2019. Now, there's a little bit of stuff we got to clear up with this first-round pick. This, this first-round pick kind of has a little bit of an asterisk beside it, and the reason why is because it goes to Phoenix if it's outside the top 10. Unless the Bucks keep it through some stroke of luck, if the lottery is, treats them well, they're going to have to trade a different future first rounder. And the players the Spurs get from this trade can actually help them win in the immediate future. The only problem really is Chris Middleton and Malcolm Brogdon hitting free agency in 2019. And that kind of poses a risk. But the Spurs would have to pay Kawhi anyways, so paying those two guys plus re-signing guys like Danny Green and Kyle Anderson, that would that should be cheaper than what Kawhi's annual salary would be. And then for the Bucks, they can actually create a pretty good trio with Giannis, Eric Bledsoe, and Kawhi. That would be pretty solid. And in doing that, they can also retain enough under the luxury tax to re-sign Jabari Parker. I th this move would put the rest of the East on high alert, and I really wouldn't be surprised if it happened. Next, Cleveland doing its best to try to keep LeBron. The Cavs get Kawhi Leonard and Patty Mills, and the Spurs get George Hill, Kyle Korver, Seti Osman, Ante Zizic, and the Brooklyn pick. So in the short term with this deal, San Antonio would pretty much be straddled financially because there's a lot of money with George Hill and, and Korver. But in 2019, they'll be free to spend. And that's assuming Kyle Anderson and Danny Green don't cost an arm and a leg. I'm not sure if, if Zizic, Osman, and the Brooklyn pick would be enough to convince San Antonio to do it, to give up Kawhi. But if I'm the Spurs, I really like that Brooklyn pick. I know it's projected 7 through 10, but this draft is looking like a pretty good draft. And who knows, the Spurs could actually get lucky and that pick could be a top three pick. We've seen it happen before. And for Cleveland, this is a, a great move because it can attract LeBron to stay. And even if he does leave, you still have a 27-year-old superstar cornerstone piece who's in his prime. MVP candidate, and it keeps you relevant in the East. Keeps It keeps you near the top. Now here's another one. This one is very similar to the Boston Celtics one. This is the Los Angeles Lakers. They get Kawhi, and the Spurs get Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, Kyle Kuzma, and a 2019 first-round pick. 
this would be a home run for the Spurs. Honestly, it, it honestly might be too much for Kawhi. This might be giving up too much. Two cornerstone, cornerstone building blocks in Kuzma and Ingram, plus a solid role player in Josh Hart. And you get a pick. It, may, it would make no sense for, for L.A. For the same exact reason as Boston, because you don't want to mortgage off the farm system you've created over the last few years. And plus, you can go after them in 2019. They have the they have the flexibility to attract two free agents this summer. If they get LeBron and Paul George, you don't need to worry about trading to get Kawhi because you have LeBron and Paul George. If you get one of those players, say you get Paul George and LeBron goes somewhere else, you get Paul George, go after Kawhi next year and sign him. Don't don't sell off your 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 developmental pieces. That would be the smart thing to do if they were the Lakers. If they if they uh, mortgaged off their future right now, I think it would be it would have been a completely pointless rebuild. Completely pointless. Now here's a here's one that actually is kind of interesting. Because it could really affect the future of both teams in a positive way for the Suns, but a negative way for the Spurs. Phoenix gets Kawhi and Patty Mills, and San Antonio gets Dragon Bender, Jared Dudley, Josh Jackson, and a 2018 first round pick. Now, the Suns here, they actually have a lot of leverage in a deal like this. They have four of the first 35 picks in the draft this year, plus movable short-term salaries that teams love to acquire to attain flexibility. And that makes the Suns a great trade partner. Patty Mills addresses the need at point guard. Remember, because they gave away Bledsoe. So Patty Mills is a solid guy to insert at point guard. And Kawhi and Devin Booker, that could be something special because Devin Booker is a, is a three-point specialist. And Kawhi is like a, a three-and-D kind of guy. So that would be interesting to see. And the, the only problem really is Leonard's impending free agency. But I think that that team would be decent enough to attract... Maybe not more free agents, but more like superstar level free agents, but more like good role players to be able to fill out that team. And I think Kawhi would be willing to stay there if the team was good enough. So they could give more important pieces like Josh Jackson and a pick or two only to have him a year later. So if the, if they have to give that up and Kawhi leaves, that, that kind of makes it a little bit pointless. But I don't I don't I'm not sure if they're in a winning situation or close to a winning situation, I don't think Kawhi would leave. For the Spurs, they get long-term cap relief because they're acquiring short-term salaries, one-year salaries. 
and they're getting three top five prospects, one of which could be in this year's draft. If they get one of those picks in the top 35. Now, this move for the Spurs isn't going to be a very appealing one if they want to continue to win now. But this offer could be the push they need to lean toward a full-fledged rebuild, and that would be the first time under Greg Popovich that they could potentially miss the playoffs and actually not be relevant. But it is Popovich, and I know he would get things turned around quickly, but man, rebuild. That would suck. And I, I want to go back and clarify something real quick. I was kind of a little bit confusing about what I said about the, what the Suns would be doing. Like I said, the only problem for Phoenix acquiring Leonard would be his impending free agency. So they would they would give away important pieces like Josh Jackson, who's a solid defensive player, and a pick or two possibly, only to let him leave later. So it's basically like they did it for nothing. But if Devin Booker, Patty Mills, Kawhi, if that works out and then they can attract more talent, that, that might be a favorable situation that Kawhi would be willing to stay in. So I wanted to clear that up. Hopefully that makes more sense. Let's move on to the next and final trade package. The Philadelphia 76ers reinvent the process. The 76ers get Kawhi Leonard, and the Spurs get Jared Bayless, Markel Foltz, Timothy Luahu Karabat, Dario Saric, and a 2018 first-round pick from the Los Angeles Lakers. The Sixers hold the rights to that pick. Now, the Sixers giving up on Fultz after one year, it's kind of a gamble because you, you have no idea what he, be, he could become. But acquiring Kawhi Leonard could honestly put the Sixers over the top in the Eastern Conference. It would halt their plans to go after LeBron. But really, it's not every day you see a superstar of Kawhi's caliber get put on the chopping block. Because there's, there's really no guarantee. Sorry. There's no guarantee that LeBron's going to come to Philly. He's got four teams on his list. The Cavs, Lakers, Rockets, Sixers. So one of those four teams he's going to. No guarantee he's going to yours. So why not make a run at Kawhi? For San Antonio, they, they get a good pick. It's going to be a solid pick. They get young core pieces in Sarge and Fultz. And imagine what Popovich could do with Fultz and Sarge. Especially Fultz. I'd be really excited to see that. Because right now Fultz isn't looking too great. In Philly, they've messed with his shot and his confidence level is not very high. Imagine what Popovich could do with that. And actually, if, if Philly renounces the rights to all of their own free agents, the Sixers could have over $27 million after their acquisition of Kawhi Leonard. Because Kawhi is 
not making that much money, they would have over $27 million in space, so they could go after LeBron. They could still get him. Even I, LeBron would probably want $30 million, though. I'm sure they could make it work. But the only problem would be paying Kawhi Leonard the following year. And plus, there's no guarantee that LeBron is going to actually come. So I guess you focus on trying to get LeBron. If you think you can get LeBron, get LeBron. But if not, go after Kawhi Leonard. I think giving up Markel Fultz is worth it if you're getting Kawhi Leonard. Because honestly, Kawhi alone... Kawhi alone could put you over the top in the East. You don't necessarily need LeBron and Kawhi. If you can get both, great. If you can make it work, great. But you don't need both. Kawhi can easily put the Sixers over the top. Imagine Ben Simmons, Kawhi, Joel Embiid, and guys like Robert Covington chipping in. That would be a pretty, pretty good team. All right, so let's move on. We're going to move on to the NFL. So I don't, I don't understand the negativity surrounding Dak Prescott. I, I just don't get it. It was a week or, or a week or two ago. Stephen Jones, the son of Jerry Jones, compared Dak to Troy Aikman, to Troy Aikman more so than Tony Romo. He saw more Aikman than Romo. And that's because he likes precise routes. He likes everything in the pocket. And that's kind of a shot at Dez, really. Like, run precise routes. <laughs> um, but really, you can just sense the negativity in the air when it comes to Dak Prescott. Remember, Dak has 22 wins in two seasons with major distractions. Zeke suspension. Dez, Romo looking over his shoulder in his first year, Jerry Jones, the league stuff with Jerry and Roger Goodell. It's incredible what that guy has been through in two years, and he has 22 wins, averaging 11 a year. So here's some examples. I want to give you guys some examples, put this into perspective. A person goes to Harvard or Yale, and you say, wow, this person is smart. This person's successful. He went to Harvard. Or a doctor. Doctors make $70,000 a year on average. That's a pretty nice living. And when you think of a doctor, you think wealth and prestige. A lot of doctors, believe it or not, Kind of struggling to pay bills. A manager of a car lot makes more than a doctor. And we think of car lot managers as lower than doctors because we have this, we have doctors labeled as prestigious and wealthy. So th there's all these preconceived notions. And if you're a first round quarterback, you're a talent. You get multiple chances, second, third, fourth, fifth chances. 
Dak's a fourth rounder. The media doubts guys like him. I've mentioned this before on a previous show, Dak and Cam. Winning percentage, huge edge Dak. Completion percentage, huge edge Dak. Passer rating, huge edge Dak. Touchdown interception ratio, massive edge Dak. Oh, and by the way, we think of Cam Newton as a as a runner, as one of the best running quarterbacks in the league. Dak has more rushing touchdowns than Cam Newton in the past couple seasons. Plus, he's significantly more mature. And I've taken a lot of heat from my friends at school for saying for saying this and doing this comparison, saying Dak is better than Cam, but I would much rather have Dak than Cam. Next five years, I'll take Dak over Cam any day of the week. And it doesn't help that I'm a Cowboys fan. I am a Cowboys fan. So everyone thinks I'm biased. So I want to do a blind resume. I want to compare stats, some numbers. Do a blind resume with three other quarterbacks and compare the same statistics I just mentioned with Dak and Cam, excluding rushing touchdowns because not all of these guys run the football. This first blind resume, and I wish I could actually put, wish this was kind of like TV so you guys could see what I'm, the statistics I'm putting up and stuff, but maybe in the future, right? Uh, but anyways, this is Dak versus a number one pick that is not Cam Newton. This is not Cam Newton. So winning percentage for uh, edge Dak, completion percentage edge Dak, passer rating edge Dak, touchdown interception ratio edge Dak. If you want me to do the numbers, winning percentage 68% Dak, 48% to this number one pick. Completion percentage, 65% Dak, 62% number one pick. Passer rating, 95.5 Dak, 88.3 number one pick. Touchdown interception ratio, 2.6 Dak, 1.8 number one pick. Now who could this be? Matt Stafford. But people will say, no, that's not fair, Will. Detroit is a terrible team, terribly run organization. Okay, fine. Here is a well-coached, well-run organization, and their quarterback is a Super Bowl MVP. Dak, winning percentage, 68.8%. Super Bowl MVP, 59.7. Completion percentage, Dak 65. Super Bowl MVP 61.7. Passer rating, 95.5. For Dak, Super Bowl MVP 84.1. TD interception ratio, ratio 2.6 Dak, 1.5 Super Bowl MVP. Check, 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 check. All Dak. That Super Bowl MVP is Joe Flacco. Wait, but Will, Flacco has always been overrated. 
Ever since he won that Super Bowl, he got overpaid and he stunk ever since. Okay, fine. Okay. I'm going to pick a guy that everyone likes. I like him. I think he's cool. He's, he's a good quarterback. His team wins a lot. It's a well-coached, well-run organization. And, like Dak, has a pretty good offensive line. So, winning percentage. Dak, 68. This quarterback, 62.1%. Completion percentage. Dak, 65. This quarterback, 61.5. Passer rating, 95.5. Dak, 88.8. This quarterback. Touchdown interception ratio, 2.6. Dak, 2.3. This quarterback. Check, 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 Dak. You know who this quarterback is? Carson Wentz. Oh, but Dak has an offensive line, though. So does Wentz. Oh, but Dak has Zeke. Joe Flacco's had good running backs. He had Ray Rice. Cam Newton's had good running backs. Carson Wentz had a committee of them this year. Ajayi Sproles before he got injured. Corey Clement and Wendell Smallwood and LeGarrette Blunt. The numbers don't lie. Dak can be a Super Bowl champion. He might win a Super Bowl. Dak's pretty good. And he's only getting better. He's only getting better. Just don't understand the negativity surrounding him when he is better than guys like that. All right. So, staying in the NFL, the Rams once again have made a trade. They acquired Brandon Cooks from the New England Patriots. Reports were saying that they were going after Odell, and obviously the asking price for Odell was way too high. Two first-round picks is insane. But they got Cooks. The Rams are loaded now. Cooks is a massive upgrade over Sammy Watkins. And it fits Goff's style and McVay's vertical offense because Goff likes to throw it deep down the field, and Brandon Cooks is very speedy. can get down the field real quick. And now the Rams are right there with the Eagles at the top of the NFC, in my opinion. And not only does this help uh, the Rams, I think this is genius for New England. They traded Cooks for the Rams' first-round pick, number 23 overall. And there was... Few other picks involved, I believe. I believe the Rams got Cooks and a fourth, and they traded their first and another pick. But anyways, New England got the 23rd pick. 
and they traded Cooks for that pick. Cooks is still on his rookie deal. And that means the Rams will now have to pay him once his rookie deal is up. It just goes to show, like I said before, the Patriots are constantly moving people in and out. They're constantly rotating guys. It's their system. It's how their system works. They just signed Jordan Matthews to replace Cooks. They already have a replacement for Cooks. It's all about keeping themselves financially flexible. They don't want to be strangled financially. This is just genius. It really is. And now with this deal, this means that Gronk's not going to get traded because now without Cooks, you didn't you don't have a go-to guy. Or you wouldn't, I guess you wouldn't have a go-to guy if you didn't have Gronk. And now that you don't have you don't have really a pure number one receiver at the moment, because Edelman still coming back, you have to keep Gronk. You gotta keep Gronk. So they're they're not gonna trade Gronk now. Reports are out that Odell is unlikely to be traded. So we'll have we'll probably have more news on that in the future. But now that New England has two first-rounders, it's a lot of buzz. A lot of buzz that New England is interested in drafting a quarterback in the first round, either Josh Rosen or Baker Mayfield. They are interested in both. And the Patriots don't have an heir apparent to Tom Brady. They don't have a successor. Remember, Garoppolo's in San Francisco now. And with this trade, now they have the ammunition to move up to take one of these quarterbacks. They have two firsts, and they have two seconds. So they, they can package together either the two firsts to move up, or they can package together one of the firsts and one of the seconds to move up. Really, it's, it's genius. This is just genius stuff. Classic Patriots, once again. We do not have, I'm not going to do a mock draft this week because nothing overly major happened that would impact the draft, but I will probably do one next week and feature one with maybe New England moving up, even though we're not sure if they're going to move up yet. But I will do one assuming they move up with, with a team to take a quarterback. But what we are going to do, and we haven't done this for a while, this is going to be an off-season edition of the Ford Food Chain. The top 10 teams in the NFL, according to me, during the free agent period. Number 10, the Houston Texans. They're getting Deshaun Watson back next year. Listen, Deshaun Watson was lighting the league on fire for the first, I don't know when he got hurt, eight, eight weeks of the year. He was on fire. They're going to get J.J. Watt back, and that's a huge plus for their defense. They were doing great up until both of those guys went out. They just signed Honey Badger. So their defense is even better now. 
they're looking good. And right now, the Colts are getting Andrew Luck back. Jacksonville's good. That can be a very, very tough division next year. That could be a pretty tough division. Number nine is the Jacksonville Jaguars. The best defense in the league. The best defense in the league. Best secondary in the league by far. Leonard Fournette is a strong power back. He's a little bit injury prone. But he's still very solid. Their offensive line is outstanding. They did lose a few receivers, but they gained a freaking amazing offensive lineman in Andrew Norwell. They're looking really good. They signed Austin Safarian Jenkins. That's another target for Bortles to throw to. Bortles is starting to come out, it looks like. They're still a really good team. I I think they're going to win their division still next year. Sorry, I was getting a drink there. Number eight, we have the San Francisco 49ers. Listen, Garoppolo is 5-0 as a starter in, in San Francisco, 7-0 overall. So, and they just signed Richard Sherman. When he comes back, that's a huge addition to the secondary. They're likely going to draft someone to add to that secondary. They signed Jarek McKinnon. Their defensive front, their front seven, it looks really, really, really good. And if they can add a guy like Derwin James at safety, or if for some reason Saquon Barkley fell to eight, that would be a home run for them. San Francisco, like I said, that's my dark horse team to win, to not win the Super Bowl, but to make it to the Super Bowl. Well, actually, they may not be dark horse now because I said if the Rams got Odell, they would be the new favorite in my eyes. But they got Brandon Cooks, which isn't far off Odell. So, yeah, I think the Rams might be my my favorite in the NFC this year. But the 49ers are still going to be very solid and will be competing in that NFC West division. Number seven, the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm not really sure what's going to happen with Le'Veon. I would rescind the tag, let him go, let him get paid somewhere else, and draft a running back. But if they keep him, he's still a top three running back in the league. Antonio Brown's the best receiver in the league. Big Ben still got another three years left. They could use a little bit of help on defense. Ryan Shazier's out. That's big for them. They need that anchor in the middle. So they'll, they'll likely draft a linebacker in the first round this year. Leighton Van Der Esch, Rashawn Evans, something, something along those lines. They'll probably win their division. We'll see what the Browns are like. No idea what the Browns are going to be like this year. But I like them in their division. I got them at number seven. Number six, the Dallas Cowboys. They've made a lot of upgrades. Like I said, Dak is a really good quarterback. Zeke's going to be back. He's got another receiver to throw to in Allen Hearns to put opposite Dez. Put Cole Beasley in the slot. That's a pretty good-looking receiving core. That actually might get Dez back on track, light a fire under him. 
They signed Deontay Thompson, who's another speedy slot guy. They have promising young corners. And if they drafted another receiver like Calvin Ridley, their receiving court is outstanding. It would be outstanding. Or they could go defensive lineman, or maybe if Derwin James fell to them, take a linebacker possibly. Possibilities are endless, really, with what they could do in the draft. But they look really good. They have a weaker schedule this year. It's the weakest since Dak's been in the NFL. I can see them winning the NFC East this year and making the playoffs and making a run towards the Super Bowl. Number five, the New Orleans Saints. Listen, Saints are right there. They're one fluke play away from the Super Bowl, away from a Super Bowl that they could have easily won. Drew Brees is back. Michael Thomas, Mark Ingram, Alvin Kamara is going to have a year under his belt. We, I'm excited to see what he can do in his sophomore campaign. Their defense is really good. They don't really have a lot of weaknesses. Maybe their only only weakness might be on on the defensive line a little bit. But man, they're right there. They're right there. Number four, I've got the New England Patriots. They really haven't done much in this uh, this off season. Gronk, we weren't we weren't sure if he was going to come back. They traded away Brandon Cooks. They lost Nate Solder to the New York Giants. They lost Cameron Fleming to the Dallas Cowboys. And that's another thing about Dallas, too. Their offensive line got better. But the Patriots lost two offensive linemen. They did gain a little bit of pass rush with Danny Shelton. Danny Shelton's a pretty solid defensive tackle. I'm not really too sure. I mean, they're still the Patriots. They're still going to be good. I've got them at number four. Number three, the Minnesota Vikings. Listen, the Vikings are going to control the NFC North. I think they're going to control the NFC North. I think they strangled themselves financially by signing Kirk Cousins to a fully guaranteed three-year $84 million deal. He's not much better than Kirk Cousins. I think with Kirk Cousins or with Case Keenum, if they would have kept Case Keenum, I think they would still be the top of the NFC North. Kirk Cousins is maybe a, a, a hair better. And who knows, Kirk Cousins' play might be elevated now that he's got a better receiving core around him. But they are going to be in c- complete control of the NFC North this year, no matter how good Aaron Rodgers is. And another thing about Minnesota, too, is defensively, they're going to have to shed some of those players because of that Kirk Cousins deal. Like I said, if you would have re-signed Keenum, could have been more flexible, could have kept some of your defensive players, but now you're going to have to let them go because of that fully guaranteed deal. Number two, one, two, you can easily flip-flop them. You can flip-flop them. I I don't know. I'm going with the Philadelphia Eagles at two. They're getting Wentz back, MVP candidate. Their defense got better. They added Michael Bennett. The Seahawks gave away Michael Bennett for free, basically. They added Mike Wallace. 
they've gotten better. They've gotten a heck of a lot better. And they're right at the top of the NFC East. With my number one team, though, it's the LA Rams. They're stacked. They do not have a weakness. They have one of the best coaches, best young minds in football, Sean McVay. One of the best young quarterbacks in, in football, Jared Goff. Top three running back, Todd Gurley. Top five left tackle in Andrew Whitworth. One of the best offensive lines as a whole, collectively. Best defensive tackle in the game, Aaron Donald. Probably the best, one of the best secondaries in football with Marcus Peters and Aqib Tlaib. They just signed Ndamukong Sue. They have the best punter in the game. They have the best defensive coordinator in the game. They do not have a weakness at all. I have them as the number one team in the NFL right now during the free agency offseason period. All right, guys, that is it for me this week. Finally back on a better schedule. I've got a track meet this Saturday, or next Saturday, sorry. So I will see you guys either on Friday, late Saturday, because it's an early track meet, won't get done until mid-afternoon. So I might see you guys late Saturday or Sunday. One of those three days for sure. I want to give a shout out to guys playing games at the real GPG clan. Jordan Klipner, Parker Yance, Bobby Faco, and Dalton Wood. Shout out for retweeting a previous episode link. Make sure you guys follow the show on Twitter at the Will Ford Show. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. It's WFS.